Open your your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Today we are going to, Lord willing, close out this chapter. What? And I preach on like 10 verses? Is that possible? Well, help me, God. We're going to try this. We're going to read together and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. For this reason... I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 27, And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Heavenly Father, help me in this hour. Help me just to preach your truth nothing else. Help those who can hear my voice that they might understand it, that it might be clear to them, and that this truth might find, find its way deep into fertile soil of the heart, that lives would be changed, souls would be saved, sin would stop, and worrying would be no more. Be with, be with us in this hour, God, because we need you. Pray these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a child, a little toe-headed kid, and I had reached the age where uh, somebody decides you're ready to be tested academically. Somewhere in Iowa, I think they put these tests together. I remember that it was a couple of serious days in the classroom. These were not like normal days. We had to sit still. We had to be really quiet and for hours on end, we, we read these ridiculous questions, and with our number two pencils, we kind of filled in those little bubbles on the sheet. The teachers all made a big deal out of it, as if our performance on these tests uh, on this day would kind of determine the futures of all mankind forever. A few months later, though, the results came in, and I was summoned, along with my parents, to an urgent meeting at school. Of course, I thought I was in trouble again, because... 
that was sort of a regular occurrence. But instead, they wanted us to know that I had scored in the 99th percentile for mathematics nationwide and 95th percentile for reading comprehension and everything else. My parents, being college professors, pounced on that news with excitement. They were eager to do anything to nurture education in my life, including making me go to advanced classes at school, play educational games after school, and uh, even take piano lessons. One of the other things they did is they encouraged me to subscribe to some magazines. They said, two magazines. We want you to subscribe to two magazines. You can pick them, you read them, and this is going to help you in the long run. I said, okay, that sounds pretty good. I'll take you up on that offer. I don't know what they expected. I mean, maybe since they were both in journalism and communications and stuff like that, they wanted me to get Newsweek or U.S. News and World Report or something that I was totally not interested in. <laughs> maybe my dad was even hopeful that I would choose... Uh, Sports Illustrated, so that he could borrow it each time I came to the house. So imagine their surprise when I picked my two magazines. You know what they were? <laughs> WWF Magazine and Mad Magazine. So <laughs> that didn't go over too well in the Milner household, but they stayed true to their promise, and I got, uh, I don't know, a year or two subscription of those until they finally had enough. They honored their agreement. I was curiously drawn to Mad Magazine, though, because uh, on the cover there was this strange-looking boy that I couldn't stop staring at. He was freckle-faced, he was gap-toothed, he had these big old flappy ears that stuck out, but he looked like he didn't have a care in the world. He didn't care what he looked like. He's just a kid walking through life. His name was Alfred E. Newman. Maybe you've heard of him. And I came to identify with him by his famous catchphrase, what? Me worry? What he always said. Out of curiosity this week, I spent some time tracing the roots of that phrase, what me worry, to see if I could figure out where it came from. It didn't come from him or Mad Magazine. The, the furthest back that I could find is it came to this person in the late 1800s. There was an Irish submarine engineer named John Philip Holland. He's the guy who built the first ever commissioned U.S. Navy submarine. And when popular belief at that time compared his invention to an iron coffin, he bravely dismissed the notion. And there's an editorial cartoon in the paper in 1898 where he supposedly is about to go down into the, the hatch of this submarine, a very small one, and on this cartoon was the caption, What? Me worry? So that's as far back as I could figure out that it came from. He didn't worry about this submarine because he knew something about it. He had a firm assurance in it. He had a solid belief in his handiwork as an inventor. So he had no problem going into that iron coffin. These past few Sundays, we've been studying the Sermon on the, on the Mount. We've been doing that for many weeks. And this week, our Lord has perfectly placed this topic about worry here before us. He wants to talk to us about our worrying and our anxiety. And the overarching command in these verses is, do not worry. It doesn't take much research to list the reasons why. 
If we were to go back a few weeks in our study, we would see in chapter 5 that the Beatitudes tell us about heavenly treasures that await us if we belong to Christ. He then uses phrases like the salts of the earth and the light of the world to describe those of us who have been saved by him. He instructs us very closely about how we are to have the type of relationships with others that will honor him and that will glorify the name of Jesus. As we get into chapter 6, he teaches us how to give, how to pray, and how to fast with proper motives so that we will be a delight to our Heavenly Father. And finally, as we saw last week, he instructs us how to see clearly with that good lamp, how to see clearly so that we'll pursue the true treasure, the kind that doesn't rot, the kind that doesn't rust. With great care, he reminds us that we serve one of two masters, and it's this thought that he continues the sermon today. Verse 24 in uh, chapter 6 He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. He seems to say, if you've heard me thus far, then do not be worried about your life. And before I get into the outline of today's message, I want to point out to you that these words at the beginning of verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. When God says, do not be worried, it's a command. It's not some mere suggestion on how to live. It's not some advice for you on how to decrease your blood pressure. He's not helping you to be stress-free. Our Lord says, do not be worried about your life. When you worry, you're disobeying him. You are sinning the sin of unbelief. God says you have no reason to worry. So, the only reason that you will ever worry is if you are disobeying and disbelieving. Is that clear? Okay. The grammar here is also important. My parents raised me on grammar, so that's what I see, and thank God because grammar is important in Scripture. The grammar used here is similar to what parents will say to a child who is already misbehaving. Anybody here have any children who misbehave from time to time? Okay. (laughs) Every now and then, every blue moon, right? Jesus is saying right here, I know that you're worrying already. Stop doing that and never start doing it again. Keep that in mind when we jump into our outline. The remaining verses in chapter 6 will give us four reasons why we should never worry about our lives ever again. And each of them answer the personal question, who are you? See, if you look at who you are as a child of God, you'll see you have no reason to worry ever again. If you just answer that question personally, 
Who am I? Would anyone here like the cure for anxiety? I mean, come on. All you got to do is live a day or two. And those things start piling up on you, don't they? Seems like 30 minutes outside of church, there's this big mountain of worry that seems to engulf us. You want the cure for that? Pay attention to the Word of God then. Verse 25 begins with the reasons, or with the words, for this reason. And what it does, it's going to go back to verse 24 and answer our first question of who are you? The answer is, you are a slave. Did that hurt some feelings? Did that ruffle some feathers? Did that make your skin crawl a little bit when I said that? God says, for this reason, in verse 25, and so before we continue, we have to ask ourselves, for what reason? Now, when you see sentences that begin with prepositional phrases like that in Scripture, it's wise to go back a few verses to find out the answer to that question, especially when we're taking a week in between sermons, because you may have already forgot what was preached last week. We need to get the full context. So for here, we only need to go back to verse 24. Jesus reminds us that we are slaves. Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. He's talking about this relationship that you have once you get saved. You become a slave Christ. You become become a slave to God. He is now your master. Jesus gives us this sort of if-then statement in Scripture. If you are a slave to God, that is, if God is your master, then do not be worried about your life. That's how we connect those two verses, 24 and 25. The problem that we have with digesting this truth is that we have such a, a negative reaction to that slave-master relationship, don't we? And rightly so. History doesn't give us many shining examples where a slave could rest assured in the goodness of their master. It's because history is riddled with sinners who are not capable of perfect relationships. In the original Greek, the New Testament uses a word called doulos about 150 times in one context or another to talk about slavery this slave issue. And remember, the Greek language is very precise, very specific language. Doulos means slave and nothing else. Doulos does not mean servant. It doesn't mean worker. It doesn't mean helper. It means slave, as in someone who is bought and owned completely and forever. A slave is not hired help. A slave is not a bond servant. A slave is not rented. A slave is owned outright and completely. We don't see that word in our translations very often because of the historical stigma attached to that word, slave. The masters that we've studied in school or literature have been cruel and unjust people. And so we shy away from that. But let me tell you something. God is different. I said God is different. God is perfect. And if God is your master, he is the perfect master. As a slave to the perfect master, do not be worried about your life. 
This includes your entire life, your physical life, your emotional life, your mental life, and yes, of course, your spiritual life. God will protect and provide because he is a good master. He is a perfect master. In verse 25, briefly, Jesus tells us what a good master we have. We see he's concerned with the physical, of course, but also with all parts of our lives. Look at what it says. Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? He commands us not to be worried about what we will eat or drink or what we'll wear. Then he asks this compound question, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Remember, your heavenly father is a good master. He's a perfect master. He cares about more than your basic needs. And all you have to do is look at the previous verses in the Sermon on the Mount to prove this point. My brother Steve just sang from that psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that song goes on to tell you the things that God does for you because he's concerned with more than just your physical need. If your master is concerned about these things for you, and I'm talking about loftier things, things that are more than food or clothing. If he's concerned about your heavenly blessings, your sanctified relationships on earth, your true motives in worship, and your clear vision of what's really valuable, don't you think your master will take care of you in your life? Of course he will. So, Jesus says to you, stop worrying. And don't start it ever again. Verse 26. Jesus makes this even more personal. Being a slave is one thing. A perfect master will protect his possessions perfectly. And for us, that should really be enough to stop worrying forever. We could stop the sermon right now and be totally fine. Because I'm a slave to God and he's a perfect master, he's going to take care of me because I'm his possession. But there's more. In the love of God and the grace of God, he gives us more here. Jesus makes it warm. Jesus makes it sweet. And here he tells us another answer to the question, who are you? You are a child. These verses are the crux of the argument. These are the verses that should melt your icy heart. Here, Jesus tells us, and he talks about family. He gives us two beautiful pictures from God's creation, and these pictures are there to combat three of our biggest worries. Food, life expectancy, clothing. Then he reminds us that because we are saved children and we are children of God, it's ridiculous to worry about these things first thing he asks here is, as a child of God, why are you worrying about food? Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Let that image in verse 26 just paint a picture in your mind. 
It begins with, look at the birds of the air. Now, in the region of northern Galilee where Jesus was preaching here, it has been said that there were many birds there. But we don't need to go travel there to see the birds and then have some sort of religious enlightenment. We have birds here in Phoenix. Pigeons. I'm sorry, that's pretty much all I see. Pigeons. But look at those pigeons, man. They don't have little pigeon mills where they're grinding things into food. There's no like little pigeon McDonald's where they're going and getting their pigeon McNuggets. None of that exists. Pay attention to the skies sometime this week and just look at the birds of the air. Do you think that they worry and fret about their next meal? Do they stockpile seeds and bugs into little bird-sized silos so that just in case tomorrow doesn't happen, uh, there's nothing there, they can just go into that and eat to escape anxiety? No, they don't do that. You know why? Because your heavenly Father feeds them. Let me say that again. Your heavenly Father feeds them. I'm talking about lower creatures. God spoke them into existence, didn't he? But he didn't create them in his image. All other creatures were created one way, but you, you're different, aren't you? You are. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. I'll prove it to you. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to show you how God took some time, some effort. He put something extra into creating you. Genesis chapter 2. I want to look at verse 7. That's right. Genesis 2, verse 7. Look at what this says. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God didn't do that to a pigeon, okay? He didn't do that to a chihuahua. God did that to you. That's how you were created. And just so you ladies don't feel left out, you get two verses. Look at verses 21 and 22. Look at this. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he, being God, took one of the man's ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Do you see the care here? Do you see the intimacy? You are a child God. Jesus says that you're worth much more than the birds of the air. And if your heavenly Father feeds them, do not worry about what you shall eat. Second, 
as a child of God, why are you worrying about the length of your own life? Back in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 27, Jesus says, And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? You answer this question. Will your anxiety prolong your life? (laughs) No, it won't. Actually, some studies show it does the opposite. It causes things like irritability, right? Headaches, sweating, tension. These things can cause some serious health problems in your circulatory systems and your nervous system, you know, your heart and your brain. So to answer Jesus' question here, no. Worrying will not prolong your life. It's more likely to shorten it. So why is our culture so fixated on lengthening our lifespan anyway? We seem to jump on every type of vitamin, every type of weird juice and exercise routine, hoping that we can tack on some extra years at the end. Uh, Don't you know that you already have a predetermined end date that only God knows? You're not going to change that end date. You're not going to convince God to give you more time just because you ate some of those goji berries or did the latest Chuck Norris exercise routine. God's not going to be impressed and say, oh, that was really good. Okay, let me give you an extra six months. I'm not saying, okay, let's all go out and forget our diets and just gorge ourselves on chocolate donuts and bacon cheeseburgers. So don't call me out on that later. But Brent said, don't worry about your lifespan. Let's all go down to the Krispy Kreme. No. It is a good thing to be a faithful steward of your body because God gave that body to you. You should live a healthy lifestyle because you're a steward of this body that he gave you. Let's look at your motives. Let's look at our motives. It's always good to do that. Why are we prolonging our lives? Why are we trying to do that? What's our motives behind that? Are we trying to force God to change our death day? Or are you trying to be a benefit to God's kingdom by being healthy while you're alive? Look at the motives of why you do the things you do. It's all about perspective. But in either case, worrying about your lifespan is a sin. And it won't help you anyway. Third, As we see here in these verses, as a child of God, why are you worrying about your clothing? Jesus paints another beautiful picture here. Use your imagination now and look at the scene in verses 28 and 29. Jesus asks, why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that Not even Solomon in all his glory clothes himself like one of these. Did you guys know that in the year 2011, the fashion industry worldwide was worth over $3 trillion? $3 trillion. That's like $3,000 billion. 
It's a lot of numbers. I can't even count those zeros, like 9 or 12 or 11, 100 of them. It's a lot of money. The fashion industry spends over $500 billion each year in advertising. They spend a lot of money sending messages of vanity and worry out to you and to your children. They want you to worry about your clothing. They want you to worry about your appearance so you will give them your money to assuage your fear. It's no accident that the fashion industry is so wealthy. The devil himself is a vain creature. Scripture here tells us that your heavenly father clothes the flowers of the field beautifully. More beautiful than any supermodel or even King Solomon. The flowers, they're not anxious about how they look. They don't work and toil to become beautiful. My wife, she grows nasturtiums in our backyard. I have a prop. Nobody told me I couldn't bring props, so I did. These are nasturtiums. They were picked this morning. Sometime today, you guys should come look at these flowers. They have amazing detail. The lines inside are so precise, I can't even see the detail with my naked eye. Who clothed them that way? God did. This year, these flowers just sprung up on their own. We didn't even have to plant them again. They just came up. The detail on each petal is amazing. I'm looking at them now. The contrast, you'd swear they were fake, that they were laser etched or something, but no, they're not. God dressed them like this. Now consider, God didn't create these flowers for heaven. These are going to burn up. But you, he created for heaven. You are his child. And if he clothes these throwaway flowers so beautifully, why are you, child of God, worrying about what you wear? Doesn't make sense, does it? He finishes this portion of of Scripture with an admonition. He says, You of little faith, stop worrying. And don't start it again. Coming down on the home stretch of this theme in verse 31, God reminds us here that not only are we slaves of the good master and children of the heavenly father, but he's actually changed who we are. Answering the question, who am I? The answer is, you are a new creature. He has changed us into new creatures. He repeats this command here. If you look at verse 31, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? And then he says, that's what the Gentiles do. And Jesus uses the word Gentiles here to refer to unbelievers, to pagans, to people who aren't slaves of God, to people who aren't children of the Heavenly Father. 
These are old creatures. Old creatures. We're no longer like that. We're people of faith, are we not? When God saved you, did he ransom you from death? When God saved you, did he justify you from your guilt? Did he? When God saved you, did he welcome you into his kingdom? When God saved you, did he adopt you into his holy family? When God saved you, did he ordain you into a holy priesthood? When God saved you, did he remove that stony dead heart? When God saved you, did he give you a heart of flesh that responds to him? When God saved you, did he give you the Holy Spirit as a helper and a promise of future hope? Are you then a new creature because of what God did? You are. If God has saved you, you're a new creature. Then stop worrying. And don't ever start it again. That's what the old creature did. That's what the old man used to do. Worrying about these things. Jesus says here that your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So what should we do? Where should we reallocate all that energy that we formerly committed to worry and anxiety? What should we do with all that effort? Again, Jesus answers that question here for us. Look at your, look at your word of God. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Go back to the Beatitudes. Go back to chapter 5 and look at verse 3. What things will be added to you. What things? Instead of pursuing these basic worries that don't matter in eternity, God says, seek the things with the, which glorify God. Look at verse 3. Seek to be poor in spirit. Verse 4. Seek to mourn over your sin. Verse 5. Seek to be gentle. Hunger and thirst for righteousness in every facet of your life. Use that energy to practice mercy with other people. Use that energy to pursue purity in your own heart. How about this one? Become a peacemaker in every arena of your life. Rejoice in the midst of persecution for Jesus' sake. These are the things we should pursue. Strive to be the salt of the earth. Let the light of Christ shine through you for all the world to see. Instead of worrying over food and your lifespan and your clothing, take all that effort and pursue these things and watch what God does. You are a new creature. Be about the new things. Stop worrying. and Don't ever start it again. Finally, the last reason here not to worry is because you are an heir. H-E-I-R. You are an heir. In verse 34, Jesus sums up this theme by saying, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. 
Listen, brothers and sisters, the loving kindnesses of the Lord never cease. Did you hear that? I said the loving kindnesses of the Lord never cease. Ethan the Ezraite sang about them in Psalm 89. In Psalm 89, he said, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. In this verse in Matthew 6, Jesus finishes it by saying, Each day has enough trouble of its own. But you know what else each day has? Sure, each day has enough troubles of its own, but you know what else it has? Turn to Lamentations 3. This will be the last verse. I'm going to make you look up. Go to Lamentations chapter 3. I want you to look at verses 22 and 23. Sure, each day has enough trouble of its own. If we look at these verses, we see something else that each day has. Are you there? Okay. Lamentations 3, starting in verse 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. Here it is, verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But every morning, God gives you new loving kindness and compassions. It doesn't say some mornings, does it? It says every morning, doesn't it? And it doesn't say that God gives you some tired old rerun loving kindness and compassion. It's from syndication. No, these loving kindnesses and compassions are new ones every day. So why are you worried about tomorrow? Did you forget what God does every day? The Word says right here, tomorrow God's going to give you new compassion. Tomorrow's going to give you new loving kindness. Why are you worried about tomorrow? God's there. He's got it. He's got it. Not only that, but God promises you an inheritance. Here's another if-then statement. If Jesus has saved your soul from destruction and to glory, then one day you will experience something glorious. I'm talking about the final tomorrow. On that day, you slave of God, child of God, new creature, on that day, you will inherit heaven itself. This is a place that Jesus has been preparing for you, to give to you. It's a place of beauty and light. There's no sorrow and there's no night. It's a place where God is. <laughs> there's no sin no decay. There are no tears. So, why are you worrying about tomorrow? Do you think God's going to 
welch on his promise to you? He's not. You are the slave to the perfect master. You are a child to the heavenly father. (laughs) You're a new creature born again through the blood of Lord Jesus Christ. And you are an heir of the most glorious kingdom guaranteed by the Holy Spirit of God himself. So then, stop worrying and don't ever start it again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know we are not to live lives of clumsiness or carelessness. We know we have a stewardship that we need to be true to. We know we can't be foolish with these lives. But, God, you have promised to care for our every need. You promised help our unbelief, God. Help our unbelief that we don't waste life worrying. Help our unbelief so that we don't sin against you anymore with one more anxious thought. Help us to take those thoughts captive unto Christ. And then, Lord, sanctify us. Let your word find its way into our heart that we're changed forever. Help us to leave this place believing the truth of what you said. You are the perfect master. You are the heavenly father. You've created us anew and you have an inheritance promised for us. And because of those four reasons, because we've been so radically changed, we have no reason to worry like the old man did. Will you be with us, Lord? Walk with us. Let these truths radiate from us so that everyone would see and that we would have plenty of witnesses. I love you, Lord, for what you've done in me. Be blessed today, I pray, in Jesus' name.